Welcome to Tales from the Rabbit Hole. I'm your host, Mick West. Last week, I had on someone uh, who was very right-wing, Joe. And kind of to balance that out, this week I'm having on someone who is more left-wing. Jen Senko is the director and creator of The Brainwashing of My Dad, a documentary about how her father was affected by over-consuming right-wing media. There's an interesting history of how right-wing media came to be in the state it is right now. And uh, it's just a very interesting documentary. I liked it a lot, but I recognize that it's not everybody's cup of tea. I think people who are conservative may think that it's overly um, leftist in its approach. And that's uh, possibly a valid criticism. It's a very interesting documentary, even if you're politically opposed to its message. I recommend giving it a go. But let's go and meet our guest. All right. So my guest today is Jen Senko, who is the director of the documentary film The Brainwashing of My Dad, uh, which was released in 2016. I think you, ca- you finished it in 2015. It was released in 2016. Yeah, it was finished actually in 2016. Yeah. It's- it is 2015 in IMDb because uh, we showed our work in progress at Michael Moore oh. Traverse City in 2015. So that's how come IMDb had it as 2015. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I must say it is one of my favorite documentaries that I have seen uh, in, in, in my memory. Uh, my wife and I watched it together, <laughs> I think, about a year ago. And I just rewatched it again uh, over the last couple of days so I can make notes on it in preparation for this this interview. So I've got uh, several pages of notes that I want to uh, <laughs> touch on a few of the points here. Uh, mm-hmm. So, But first of all, could you just tell, uh, tell briefly for people listening what the basic premise of the film is, the documentary is, and, and how it came about? Mm-hmm. Okay, well... Um... My growing up, that my father was a non-political, um, very open-minded Democrat, and um, and very loving towards all people. And um, one day, when my family moved, he suddenly had a long commute to work, and he started listening to. Uh, it was Bob Grant at the time who was called the father of conservative radio. And he was like one of the prototypes of um, the, uh, you know, bombastic radio hosts. You know, one of his lines was, get off my phone. (laughs) So, um, but, you know, I guess for my dad, this was entertaining on his way to work. He wasn't listening to music. But gradually he started to change and... He, um, his personality changed, which is what we found disturbing. He became uh, very angry and uh, very argumentative. And um, then when he fully retired, he found Rush Limbaugh. And then he started having his three-hour, what I call Limbaugh lunches, you know, where he'd sit there with after lunch with a, a beer and belch and listen <laughs> Limbaugh. And he just became intolerable. Um, Limbaugh was his hero. So actually, though, what I started noticing around the same time that my dad would make these pronouncements, like, for instance, one day he might just say, oh, there's no such thing as organic, right? Just 
come out with that. And then maybe two weeks later, a friend would be visiting me from the South and she would say the exact same thing. Oh, there's no such thing as organic, you know. And I started noticing this like with certain people. And it turned out later that that friend read Drudge, the Drudge Report. That was her. That was her. You know, so I just started putting this together that my dad was being influenced by this media. And then I, I felt like I was on the Titanic when it had sprung a leak and nobody listened to me that, you know, the ship might be going down. And uh, because I just believed that media could really had a really big effect on people and bigger than we ever suspected. So that's why I wanted to make a documentary about it. And, you know, part of that documentary was showing how the right and these far right Republicans were trying to get really wanted. Their goal was eventually one party rule. And um, Hillary Clinton was said, you know, it was a vast right wing conspiracy and everybody laughed at the time. And but you know what it it. It was, you know, and then so I go into that in the movie, you know, with the Powell memo and the Roger Ailes memo and Telecommunications Act and um, those kind of things. Yes, it's really very interesting. And the detail that you go into in all these, the historical aspects of it was something I wasn't really expecting. Uh, when I watched it the first time, I thought it was going to be more just about the story of your father. But you really get into all these, uh, uh, the political history of the conservative media in the United States. I like you you mentioned, uh, you know, Hillary Clinton saying the vast right wing conspiracy, uh, which was something that she was somewhat mocked for uh, at the time. Obviously, obviously the the right wing people would mock her for something like that. Uh, But in a way, there's either going to be a conspiracy on one side or the other because the right wing media that you you portray so well in your your documentary uses a lot of conspiracy theories they promote conspiracy theories and yet they are themselves uh propagating essentially something where they are conspiring against hillary clinton so uh i actually i write about conspiracy theories that's my area of interest oh wow uh so it, it was very interesting to me to to see you know the these much more real world conspiracies in action than the ones I'm used to. Cause I talk about things like nine 11 being an inside job and chemtrails and uh, the earth being flat and things like that. But then you've got these very, very real uh, right. actual conspiracies or conspiracies in the major media. Right. Uh, okay. Yeah. Right. Just because conspiracy got a bad word and so many of them are crazy. It doesn't mean that they they don't happen and i think it's it was unfathomable for people to think that um the republicans could actually be engaged in a conspiracy for one party rule but i think the reason why my film keeps uh gaining popularity is, is because it's becoming more obvious to so many people that hey <laughs> yeah. this is what happened yeah and you go back to the the earliest days uh and you, you kind of start off around the time of, of nixon i guess uh was like the main kind of uh jumping off points in the film 
Uh, yeah, and Goldwater actually yeah. before. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so Gold, Goldwater was kind of uh, a presidential the, candidate, and he was uh, part of the John Birch Society or supported by the John Birch Society. Yeah, yeah, he was supported by the John Birch Society, and then um, when uh, it was revealed that the um, uh, the founder of the John Birch Society called President Eisenhower a communist, then everybody kind of, you know, thought that the Birch Society was really sort of loony. And so it sank his ship. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's an interesting thing because you know, it resonates with things today. Like it's almost like things like that wouldn't sink ships nowadays. Because uh, you can make much more outrageous claims nowadays than you could back then. It seems like things are a lot more reasonable uh, back then. But we've somehow arrived at a state where uh, President Trump and other people can make quite outrageous claims and it doesn't sink their ships, yeah. uh, which is quite amazing. And, and I think that it's gotten to the point where it's like anything goes, anything could be said. You know, just like he said he could walk out on Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody it's true because we've sort of lost our grounding and our sanity in a sense. Yeah. yeah. There was an interesting uh, thing with Nixon that uh, kind of rang a bell with me, uh, which is with the hard hat riots where, you know, they had this, the students were protesting after the shooting at Kent state. Yeah. And then these construction workers came in with their hard hats and they started beating the students up. And then after that, Nixon met with the leader of uh, like some construction union and the construction union guy presented him with a symbolic hard hat and right. uh, he put it on and then it, it was almost like he was supporting the the violence. Right. Uh, which was kind of interesting because it kind of resonated with what you see today with like with Trump's statement about him being able to shoot anybody. Yeah. And I think before then uh, people like that were mostly uh, Democrats uh, because Democrats were for the union. But after that, you know, Republicans made them their mark. That's who they needed to win over. Yeah, so working men, you say the working families, the working classes, or even right. the middle classes, yeah. Were, yeah. were more Democrat. And this this was kind of a, a deliberate strategy, in a way, by the Republicans to, to, to win over. Uh, you talk about uh, Roger Ailes, in the movie, like uh, he obviously is most well known for Fox News nowadays, but back then he was advising uh, President Nixon on how to form his message mm -hmm. uh, and get that out, and how to how to yeah. use emotional sound bites to uh, to get across to people. That was fascinating. Yeah, well, um, Nixon um, was just lousy on television. You know, in the debate with um, John F. Kennedy years before that, you know, you could see he was visibly sweaty, uh, uncomfortable. And so um, Ailes was like, look, you have to get with the program. You know, TV is here and it's here to stay. And Nixon didn't want to believe that. Like, he just thought TV was a gimmick. Roger Ailes really groomed him. He he helped a lot of people. He helped Bush one and Reagan. So your documentary, uh, you talked to a lot of people in it. How, how did you actually, how did you actually get this thing up and running 
do you have background doing documentaries or did you have yeah. help doing it oh yeah, i had to have help yeah i i did two other documentaries um each of them like were award-winning but they were the longest one was an hour and so this was really much more challenging and I think when people have a project that they're very passionate about and that they believe in, something like magic happens mm. because um, these people like just came across to me. You know, I so I met this woman from Occupy Wall Street right. and let her stay at my house. And I told her about the movie and she said, oh, you got to meet my friend Jeff Cullen. And so that's how I met Jeff Cohen. And then uh, another person who loved uh, our former documentary called um, The Vanishing City, which was about the luxurification of cities. She said, well, you know, you've got to talk to Noam. This is his thing. And I'm like, Noam hmm. Chomsky? <laughs> really wow. Me? And she said, well, I think, you know, you should write something up and I'll look at it and, um, you know, I'll introduce you. And, uh, you know, he said he wasn't doing, you know, films or appearing that way anymore, but he decided he would. Um, and so things just kind of like rolled, rolled out like that. I mean, it was really, really, really hard work. I ended up getting pneumonia and shingles. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I had a small team, but a really de dedicated team. It was an amazing experience making it. You have a lot of people uh, in the documentary that are you know, people who are in similar situations to yourself, people who had friends or relatives who uh, had a, you know, they got sucked into this Fox News black hole or some kind of talk radio black hole of uh, you know, anger. How did you find those people? Well, it's interesting. I had um, a Kickstarter campaign to start off, mm -hmm. and um, we were pretty lucky with the Kickstarter campaign. I think I was asking for like $11,000, and I ended up getting 46000 But mm. what really happened is it was all like almost a 1,000 small donors, and all these people were just, as I say in the documentary, just coming out of the woodwork telling me, they had that same experience, and it was it was cathartic for them. It was a relief for them. I became like the Ann Landers of you know this happened to my mom and dad. I had I still have people that write me every day with their with their stories. So that's when I realized, wow, this is this is this is not just me. This is this is a phenomenon. It's happening across the country. So I just put out the word like on Kickstarter that, Hey, if anybody wants to talk, you know, I can't come there cause I can't afford it, but maybe we could do Skype. So I set up my little camera behind me, just facing the computer and then just started doing these Skype interviews. And we got a ton of them. Yeah. I think that was very effective because you get to see the sheer weight of numbers. You know, it's not just one person with your, your father. You know, obviously the film is yeah, it's focused around your father, but this, uh, seeing all these other people in the same situation was, I think, very powerful. Uh, and uh, you know, I imagine, you, like you say, you still get you still get people emailing you in the same uh, same thing. 
I have a, something on my website, which is submit your personal story. Right. So, um, you know, now people can submit their stories. And I put them on the website. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, what's really interesting is, uh, yeah, this, this, the kind of deliberateness of this vast right-wing conspiracy, if I want to a better word. Now, I know some people are going to watch uh, or listen to this podcast and you, they see it as being very political, uh, which it is to a certain degree. You know, there's, there's the liberals versus conservatives. But there's the uh, the conservative uh, push to you know in, get themselves into the media. It's, it's been so, so strong. Did you have people talking about a liberal pushback trying to counter that at the time? I mean, any kind of pushback was pathetic. And I think people were not really, could not really grasp just how, how powerful this media was and, and what was behind it and the money behind it. I mean, um, if you read Nancy McLean's book, uh, Democracy in Chains, she talks about, she goes back to like the 50s where there were these billionaires, North Carolina and some of the southern states that were really upset about uh, Brown versus the Board of Education. Mm-hmm. And, um, they decided that they didn't believe that they should pay taxes for anything, not public school, not library, you know, social security. And so they, they really, the seed of it started back then. The one thing they had that many liberals did not was like a lot of these billionaires. Jane Mayer talks about it also as well in Dark Money, you know, the money behind this. So I think, you know, I don't see it as liberals versus conservatives. I, I mean, I don't have anything mm-hmm. against conservatives. I think... There's a purpose for all, but these were radical far-right libertarians that were trying to turn the country upside down for the benefit of themselves. And I think that so many people found it so hard to believe and so and so hard to grasp that that's why, you know, Democrats were just so ineffective at fighting it i was very frustrated and um there was never any like big money behind you know that's why air america failed there was never any big liberal money behind trying to counter that media you think it's ideologically driven or self-interest driven what would you say is the you know, is it just a bunch of billionaires looking out for their own interests, or do they have some kind of grand plan? Like think they think they're doing God's work, or they think that you know the Iron Rand was right. Uh, you know what? What's the prime driver behind these billionaires? Do you think their ideology is born of their self-interest? Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's almost like they've created this ideology to support their self-interest. And Ayn Rand was like a nice fit. I used to actually be an Ayn Rand follower at one point in my life, in my 30s, because it was sort of like an antidote to Catholicism. So Mm. I understood the appeal. But I, 
eventually realized that it kind of doesn't really work in real life. Yeah. Did you, you grew up Catholic? I did, yeah. Yeah, I did yeah. too. It's interesting that the guy I interviewed a few days ago was also grew up Catholic, but he's kind of the polar opposite of you. And I, I was thinking about you and your documentary when I was talking to him because he is a, a Tea Party Republican and mm-hmm. and he repeats a lot of the talking points that you hear on conservative talk radio. Or uh, And you know, one of the things that you talk about in your, your documentary later on is you know, how your your dad kind of changed when he started listening to NPR. Uh, and this guy, though, um, Joe, who I, I interviewed for my previous podcast, he also listens to NPR. So and it, it didn't work. <laughs> it didn't work. Um, but, uh, you know, getting getting going back to your dad, I think, you know, one of the things that I took away from the film that I remembered most about it, and I was surprised actually at how little it actually featured when I went back and watched it again, was this thing where uh, you, your dad, you know, you moved, your dad moved house and the radio broke and then the TV broke and then your your mom reprogrammed the remote so he didn't have Fox on it and then she unsubscribed him from these email lists and subscribed him to some different email lists and this kind of it kind of worked in reverse yeah um well when she programmed the remotes she didn't not program Fox it's just that she does she likes to do that and so they had stickies all over them Mm. and my dad would frequently like you know, just mess it up. So he just ended up watching what she watched. She had it on a news channel. <laughs> so uh, that's what happened there. Definitely when his media diet changed, he changed. But, you know, it didn't mean that he became like a total Democrat or, you know, liberal or anything like that. You know, at the end of the movie, he says, I'm not all Democrat. I'm not all Republican. But yet he believed in um, marriage equality which was remarkable. Yeah, he, he kind of turned around a bit on his opinion of Obama. Uh, yeah. To a degree, which, oh, which was really... very interesting. Did you come away from the film with uh, advice that you would give to people in similar situations? You know, what works and what doesn't? You, we, you have the story of your dad. I mean, yeah. Do you advise people? You, mean, you can't really advise people to uh, detune radios and things like that, but... What advice do you give to people in similar situations? Um, I, I do um, I, I, on Twitter. I've got a little a little bit of a following, and um, many of my followers have told other people how they can put child locks on their TV so that their parents can't watch Fox. So, and I don't really discourage that. Um, <laughs> I just go along with it. But um, there's um, the couple in my film at the end, the Hear Yourself Think, talk about Socratic questioning. Because what happens with these people that get sucked into right-wing media, it's propaganda that aims for the emotions, it aims especially for fear, and aims especially for anger. So, you know, their, their amygdala is what's activated. So if you try and bring their rational brain in uh, by asking Socratic questions, you know, well, 
well, why do you believe this? Or what do you think about that? And, you know, don't have a, a temper about it. Frequently, you'll see, you'll see people sometimes coming to like more neutral territory. At least like on the website here, yourself think you can see them actually doing this outside, like when they had, there was Glenn Beck rallies or whatever, talking to some people and kind of like getting them to think. I'm not saying it's easy, but you know, that was the other thing that I did with my dad was if, if it was an argument, no, that would not work. But like one time when I was unemployed and I was trying to get health insurance, I just was talking to him from a personal point of view, telling him like the limit to hospitalization is a hundred thousand dollars. You, you have a $7,000 deductible. I don't know what to do, dad, you know, and you know what I mean? Like from yeah. the, it made him think, yeah. So you're just giving him the bare facts of the matter and you know, asking him his opinion on those, right. those facts. Right, because yeah. if you go forward with um, anger, then they're going to get more set in in uh, their because it feels like a a confrontation or a direct threat to who mm. they are. You don't want to do that. Yeah, that's something I definitely found when talking to conspiracy theorists is that uh, if they ever get to a state where they're feeling angry with you or if they're feeling attacked in any way. Yeah. then they, the, their mind just kind of you know, shuts out what you're saying. Yeah. And you really have to kind of do it in kind of a, a roundabout way. You've got to kind of work, uh, almost talk around the topic and yeah. just kind of get in there one bit at a time. And like you say, yeah. Socratic questioning, just like a series of calm, logical questions one after the other about Not the topic yeah. uh, works very well. Yeah. Uh, you know, one thing you you had in the documentary was a few uh, young people who watched Fox News. There was a guy, uh, Matthew Sicaro. Uh, yeah. Uh, how did you How did you come across Matthew? Um, I don't remember. He I was... think I know. I think somebody saw. People would tell me when they saw an article that they mm. thought of. Like, so he wrote this article for, I forget what it was now. Was it Huffington Post or something? You know, how um, uh, Sean Hannity stole my brain. So like, oh, man, I got to get in touch with this kid. This might be great. So he just agreed to, 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 to talk to me. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like there's you know, obviously a huge difference between what's going on there with the older people, then you talk about, you know, people turning off the, you know, locking out their, their parents from the TVs and young people. It seems like you have to have a very different approach for, for, for youngsters, uh, you know, especially once they've, they've left home. Uh, yeah. You know, do you have any thoughts on how best to approach young people who start getting sucked into this type of thing? Or is it uh, is it kind of an outlier? I mean, you, you said that it's mostly older people. I think that some young people get sucked in too yeah. because they're they're adopting what their parents think, and they're not maybe thinking about it. You know, they're just accepting what they say. I don't really have anything in particular. I guess the same thing would work with them. Like, 
you know, Socratic questioning. But also sometimes I have to say, I do think we need to stigmatize like Fox and, you know, Rush Limbaugh and make fun of that a little bit. And, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe not to the person, but point out the, the ridiculousness of it, point out how these people are being bamboozled you know, and, and and kind of get that out there, stigmatize it. And then, you know, young people especially, they don't want to feel like they're not in the know. Yeah. Well, one thing you do in the uh, the last like half hour of the, the documentary is you talk about all the, the techniques that people use, like you wanted to see, like what is brainwashing and what do people yeah. do? And you, you lay out, I think, nine different techniques, uh, you know, starting out with uh, lying and skewing, and then confusing yeah. and doubt, blame and divide, and it goes on. You've got this long list of uh, techniques, and I think you know one thing you can do is if you educate people that these techniques are being used on them. Yes. Then that, in a way, can kind of immunize them against them if they can recognize, oh, this is what they're trying to do. Yeah. No, you're right. We should have media literacy taught in in school. Yeah. No. Yeah. One of the things, uh, tactic seven here, bullying and shaming. And you yeah. showed some good examples of that where the, the host on Fox News basically started shouting at the, yeah. the guests, you know, the, the, they were interviewing and then feigning outrage to try to sway yeah. the audience position. And I think, uh, yeah, in a way that guest should have known that this was a tactic that people use as well. Yeah, but uh, I, I don't think you can really you know, teach everybody about kind of rhetorical dueling on TV. Yeah. But having people aware that it's hap- happening is uh, is very yeah. important. The feigning, the feigning anger—that's yeah. what they all do on Fox News all the time. They they feign anger, like they feigned anger at Obama if he played golf or he wore a tan suit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You you talked about Frank Luntz. That you didn't have Frank Luntz on the show, did you? Did you interview him? Yeah. All yeah. right. So that that must be very interesting because Frank Luntz is a very interesting chap. Oh yeah. Because uh, you know he's obviously very he's a conservative pollster, is how it's always described. But you also see him on um, things like The Daily Show and things like that, and he seems like a very nice and intelligent person. And yeah. yet he's uh, using his powers for evil, it seems. Yeah, uh, it's, yeah, he's quite affable. Yes. <laughs> yes, but then yeah. so is Hitler. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> not that I've got anything against Franklin, so I do not, I do not know him. But, you know, obviously you, one thing you talked about was how he invented all these terms. Like yes. he, he coined the phrase death tax uh, right. to replace estate tax and uh, government's, uh, government takeover to replace yes. government control, yeah. uh, which, were, which are very powerful things uh, that uh, right. that are used. Yeah. And again, yeah, it's almost you, you would want to think that you could educate people that these tricks are being played upon them, but I think with a lot of people, it's it's going to be difficult to do that level of thing. And it's almost like you have to reply in kind. You have to use tricks of your own in yeah. a way of propaganda of your own. Do you see it all like things changing recently? You said that the the liberal or the democratic response to this was very poor in the past. 
Do you see anything changing in the last couple of years? I do, and I thought I, I, I did, and I thought it was happening faster than it actually is. But, I'm, I, I mean, I think that, you know, like the major news networks and the cable news networks like MSNBC and CNN are a, a little more hip to what Fox News does, whereas before they catered to them. I, I feel like they almost had PTSD, like they were accused of um, being too liberal. And so they bent over backwards to show they weren't. And then finally they realized, oh, wait a minute. We don't have to be like them, and they're kind of bullying us, and that's what they are, is bullies. I don't think they fully realize just how much influence they have, but I just see it as a start. It does seem like they're starting to catch on. Yeah, yeah, they're starting to become aware of uh, you know, just how well Fox News tactics are working. In, in some ways, though, the I think the the media like CNN and MSNBC, it seems to me, I don't know, you may have a different perception, but it seems to me in some ways they're becoming almost like Fox, but left wing. Like They're, they're becoming a bit more, not exactly propaganda outlets, but it, it does seem a bit more biased uh, on the left wing uh, side than, than it was in the past. I don't know if that's something that you've, you've noticed at all. Yeah, um... Well, I don't think CNN is very much. Sometimes it, you know, it still will have like Kellyanne Conway or mm. hired people that That's are true. obviously really, they wimp out a lot. I mean, like John Stewart said, oh, no, 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 wait, it was Stephen Colbert. Uh, truth has a liberal bias. Um, yes, reality well, has a liberal bias. Yes, I've heard that one as well. I, I do think that MSNBC leans anti-Trump. They right. they they are anti-Trump. But I mean, you know, if you're paying attention, you should be. He's an abomination. He's a wannabe dictator. He's a fraud. He's a con. And um, you know, I hope that doesn't get your other uh, guests or people that listen listeners angry, but. He, he is, and you know, if you've if you've got a Hitler, you got to call him that. So I'm glad they do that. But I will say this: that they are not completely liberal because they're still run by a corporation, and so there's going to be constraints. There's going to be restrictions. You know, it's still like a very narrow window of what they can re- report on and what they what they talk about. Like they're not going to be real anti-war they're not going to have on noam chomsky so i'm not yeah. uh, it's not fully liberal but yeah they, they do know that their audience is mostly liberal right so in some ways they have to you know pander to their audience a little bit and give the audience what they want so that they they keep their audience yeah do you think there are media outlets that are genuine alternatives to to fox news like, like npr I mean, would, would you recommend NPR as uh, something people should should listen to or watch on the internet? I listen to NPR, um, but I mean, it's it's it, I'm thankful for it, but it's not perfectly objective either. Like, yeah. for instance, Cokes have given them money, so 
you don't really hear them talking against fracking, unfortunately. Hmm. So they they have their limitations too that are there because of money and where they get their money. But generally, I think they do a pretty good job of, of investigation and, you know, they're about as good as you can get. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's some good online things that you can read, you know, like reader-supported news, alternate or common dreams. What, what would you suggest, like, say, if someone is very conservative and uh, they're listening to Fox News? It would seem difficult to suggest to someone who is a conservative relative or a friend you know, don't 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 listen to Fox News. Go over to CNN because they or or go over to NPR. Uh, how do you how do you start to shift the opinion of someone who's deeply entrenched in conservatism, or or, or is it even possible? It's possible, as example by my dad and by mm-hmm. the guy in my film. Um, it's, yeah, it does happen, uh, certainly. And a lot of, I, you know, I see this with conspiracy theorists who are very deep into things. Uh, and people do get out. But it's yeah. often very difficult to see what the path is for any one individual. You know, I don't want to uh, say, like, people shouldn't be conservatives or have conservative values. Right. Getting out of this kind of toxic conservatism of the, you know, the talk radio ang- anger type thing. Yeah, see, I don't even call it conservatism. Yeah, yeah. It's not conservative. Like Teddy Roosevelt was conservative. Eisenhower was conservative. Um, These people are far right, and they don't realize that they've been radical. You know, and the center has been moved so far to the right that what is really, um, you know, what a lot of people actually really support is considered left and socialistic and... That's it's it's just a misperception of um, you know how we think. Yeah, yeah. I, I grew up in England, and uh, in England, uh, people said that in in America, the Democrats are more conservative than the the British Conservatives. It's all kind of a matter of perspective uh, as to you know where you think what centrism is and what is right and what is left. American Democrats, they th- they. They think they're more conservative than the conservatives. This is just what I was told when I was I was growing up, and I think you know it is true to a certain degree. I mean, the the conservatives in Britain at, at that time were still supporting universal health care and a, a strong uh, social welfare safety net. Yeah, uh, because England coming out of the war became very uh, very socialist uh, yeah. after, in in the fifties and sixties, and then there yeah. was a bit of a, a backlash. Uh, starting in the eighties with uh, with Thatcher, but yeah, uh, yeah it's uh, it, it's all relative, yeah. and I think that these you know talk, when you talk about people's ideologies, like being conservative in terms of uh, I don't know, say fiscal conservatives who who want less taxes, yeah, you know, that's a reasonable position that you can argue about. Uh, you can, yeah. Yeah, I think we can all have reasonable discussions about that and and other issues as well, like to what degree should there be uh, social welfare or whatever? What should our foreign policy be? Yeah, yeah, Uh, those are all legitimate arguments, but the right didn't want those arguments. They just wanted um, their way. Yeah, and that's something uh, you 
you know, it reminds me of the tactic number three that you, you said, which was blame and divide, yeah. uh, which is to get people to fight against each other rather right. than recognizing what the common uh, enemy is in a way, which is these essentially oligarchs who yeah. are uh, manipulating society from above. Right. Uh, but that's a very difficult thing to convey to people if they're primed to think that you're just a, a stupid liberal who's been brainwashed right. by the liberal media into believing that. Right. Uh, it's so. it's such, a, such a, a mirror thing. Like, they're brainwashed to think that you're brainwashed because yes. you're not believing what they believe. So therefore, you're brainwashed by the liberal media and I don't even think, and the the media isn't even liberal. Yeah, that was something that you, if you actually analyze the the biases of the media, it's uh, you know it's not really it's not really that liberal when it comes right. down to it. Right. Yeah, I think uh, I'm going to get my friend Joe, who I interviewed last week, to uh, to watch your documentary and uh, see what he makes of it, <laughs> and to watch this interview with you as well, which will be interesting for him because. Well, you know, let me say, hi, Joe. <laughs> right. <laughs> Anything that offends you too much, my heart is open. <laughs> Thank you for watching the documentary. I'll say that. <laughs> right. No, he'll appreciate that. You know, he, he, he listens to NPR, so he's not, uh, you know, he's not a completely close-minded person. And he used yeah. to be a conspiracy theorist in that he believed um, somewhat in the, the chemtrail conspiracy theory, which is uh, one of the stranger conspiracy theories out there. I have a liberal friend who believes in that chemtrail thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh uh you know, it's it's quite popular in conspiracy circles. Uh yeah. so if you But Joe doesn't believe that anymore or uh no he doesn't. I talked him out of it. One of oh. my, my website that I, I started out on was called Contrail Science, which is all about debunking the chemtrail conspiracy theory. And oh. uh he he went on it. Yeah, I'll yeah. send a link to my friend. Yes, you should do. Yes, <laughs> Contrail Science and also Metabunk, which is the other one. I can I can send you these, oh, these things. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, I definitely I recommend uh, your film to anybody who's having uh, uh, issues like this. Like I told you that a lady texted me, uh, messaged me on Facebook uh, last week, and she, what she described really sounded like what some of the people in your, your documentary were talking about. Her husband had become very angry uh, yeah. because he'd been watching a lot of, uh, I don't know what it was exactly, like talk radio, I guess, yeah. listening to talk radio. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah. she said that it resonated with, with her. But anyway, again, it's hard to see yeah. what the solution is for her. But it's uh, uh, it's a good good first step. Simply knowing that there are lots of other people going through the the, the same situation. It is, and we have to press our um, representatives um, to recognize the power of right wing media, and to recognize that if you don't do anything about this media, then you're not going to get very far. Um, with other things that matter. Yeah. And that's, you know, do you think that there's some kind of legislative remedies that need to be put in place? Like we had the Telecom Reform Act, uh, which you talk about in your documentary, which gave a lot of power to the, the big six media companies. 
Yeah. And before that, with the uh, the fairness doctrine, right, uh, was where they don't have to be yeah. bare and balanced essentially anymore in the news. Well, yeah, I think you know, big media has to be broken up. And another good film to watch is called Broadcast Blues, which talks about um, what happened either after the fairness, yeah, after the fairness doctrine. Oh, how. Like national radio stations bought up radio stations that were local, right? And then there was this huge fire uh, in this town, and nobody knew uh, because the local radio station was run by somebody that was national. So they weren't getting anything local. It would be secondhand. So the local radio stations have to belong to local people. You have to break up the big conglomerates. Um, you know, the media is owned by like six corporations. So it, it really shouldn't be like that. I mean, we need to go back to something like the original Telecommunications Act, which FDR enacted, because he saw it, it, what was happening in, in Germany and how Goebbels buying, uh, giving everybody these free radios and just having that one source yeah. of information. You know, then they could control the way people thought. So, um, of course, now it's changing over to internet. So a lot of people wouldn't even be listening to the radio nowadays. Uh, they could be listening to the internet the uh, or getting. Yeah, that's that's what sprang to mind immediately as I said that was uh, people working auto body shops, right? Um, people that work, you know, sewing in, in factories. They still listen to the radio. Yeah, I think uh, something that's growing there, though, is podcasts, uh, yeah. where people are actually downloading these quite long, uh, long podcasts. Yeah. And the most popular podcast out there now is the Joe Rogan podcast, which is uh, two and a half to three hours long per episode. And it comes out sometimes every couple of days. And you can still get people listening to that. Really, I guess, because it's like listening to the radio. You just get this long stream of consciousness thing. like uh, So I think you, maybe we'll get a bit more diversity in terms of what's available to people there. But you're right. Yeah, definitely. There are a lot of people like truckers and people working in shops who will just have the radio on. Yeah. Now, I liked what, what was said in the documentary about uh, when you're listening to someone on the radio, you're typically alone. And yeah. you form it's almost like a personal relationship uh, with this person, like Rush Limbaugh, like you feel like you know him. And you get that too with the podcasts as well. A lot of people, like they feel like they have a personal relationship yeah. with whatever the podcast is that they're listening to. Yeah. So they, it's, they, it's an intimacy there. You know, they become your friends. And they they know, they they act like they're your friend as well, you know. Even yeah. calling my friend and hey, you understand me, you know, you 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 get what's going on, you know, you're, you know, that kind of thing, like flattering them so they feel like they're part of that like in group. Yeah, the Ditto Heads. That's uh, uh, Rush Limbaugh's fans being called Ditto Heads and just saying Ditto. It's like the part of, yeah, uh, you know, I, I hesitate to say a cult, but uh, there's an aspect of that. There's uh, yeah, charismatic leader 
and yeah. people having unquestioning following. But, you know, just with regular podcasts, like my wife listens to, uh, what's it called? My Favorite Murder, which is a, a popular true crime podcast. And you, you get to feel that the oh. people you're listening to are like your friends. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because, you know, you just listen to them week after week and uh, yeah, yeah. You, you recognize their voices and what they're, they're thinking. And it becomes a very powerful medium for communication and, and persuasion. A lot of people yeah. say that Joe Rogan is one of the more powerful men uh, in America because he, he has an audience of millions and uh, he sways people. Is he, you know, uh, right wing? Is or, or... Uh, Not really. He's, uh, uh, I mean, he, he kind of describes, describes himself as a somewhat socialist, but he has some kind of what people might call, I don't know, uh, old-fashioned uh, beliefs about some things. But he's actually a fairly progressive person, but he also has a lot of guests on who are a bit less than progressive, like uh, Jordan, Peterson, Jordan Peterson, who uh, uh, is a kind of an intellectual guy who is kind of right wing and has a variety of strange beliefs. But anyway, Joe Rogan uh, is an influencer in a big way. Yeah. And not simply in the way that the Cardassians, uh, yeah, uh, people on Instagram are. are influences but he actually people listen to what he says and yeah. you know quite hopeful that just the ability of anybody to say things on podcasts won't just be one-sided like it was with with conservative talk radio yeah. and that's that quite an amazing you know statistic just how how much a talk radio was conservative it was like 97 percent or something like that yeah 97 percent yeah radio. And do you think that that was like part of the vast right wing conspiracy to yes, make? Yes, because um, you know uh, there was a lot of money behind it. You know, like the Heritage Foundation giving Limbaugh lots of money. Um, it's they wanted to make sure, mm-hmm. uh, you know, according to the Lewis Powell memo, that all these things were really well funded. But also, I'm sure then that. Some just saw, hey, I can make a buck on on this. And I can jump on the bandwagon. Yeah, no, it, they have to be really well funded, and they are. Yeah. All right. Well, this has been a fascinating discussion. We're coming up on an hour now, so I want to thank you very much. Uh, people can see your documentary. It's on a variety of, of outlets. I, I saw it on Amazon, and it's on. I guess they can just go to your website. Yeah, they can go to the website and see all of the places where it can be watched, you know, streaming or, uh, yeah, Voodoo, iTunes, a number of places. Yeah, and you just type brainwashing of my dad into Google and it will, your website just pops right up. Uh, do you have anything else you want to add? Um, oh, yes. I'm writing a book. All right. <laughs> it's sort of a companion book to the movie. I'm not sure of the title yet. We're playing with that, but. Um, hopefully it'll come out before the election. So, you know, for anybody that wants to learn more, it'll be in the book. Great. That sounds very good. Well, thank you.